This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with National Coalition Against Domestic Violence President Ruth M. Glenn about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, how we listen to it, how it moves us to conclusions that can be biased, and how our bias can invalidate other survivors of abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everybody. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today we have on our show Ruth M. Glenn. How are you? I am doing well. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. And for those that don't know who you are, you are the president and CEO of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and you are also a survivor. And today we are going to talk about invalidation of other people's experiences, especially with what's going on right now with a big trial. And we are going to be talking about mutual abuse, the the myths of of mutual abuse. And for those that don't know your organization, you the organization has been up and running since 1978. And you, uh, the organization has been very involved in policymaking, uh, specifically the the biggest things. I guess the woman uh, against the uh, violence against women. Sorry. The woman <laughs> used to do it for me. Uh, the Violence Against Women. The Act. Violence Against Women's <laughs> Act, uh, amongst many other really big uh, uh, initiatives, and uh, I mean, uh, there's been the uh, Family Violence Prevention and Services Act, International Violence Against Women Act, and the Legislative Action Day. Your, the organization started. Uh, born out of the uh, civil rights movement. Um, and it has been now 44 years yeah. and you yourself, uh, have been a survivor of domestic violence and then you, you, you know, working yourself through advocacy and, and then getting into the, into the position where you are today. And at the end of this, I hope that we can discuss as well, uh, how someone who is a survivor of this can become an advocate like, like you are and, and, and where they can begin. So with all of that, everyone, 
Um, let's get into it. And let's just start here with uh, mutual abuse, the myths of mutual abuse, because this is where I started to, you know, when it came to to this trial that, that is going on, which is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, um, where I started to see your name uh, pop up as saying like, hey, mutual abuse is, is not a thing. So let's explain what is myth and what is fact. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for having me on, Brandon. Um, it, you know, um, what we know as an organization is that um, in domestic violence instances, in domestic violence situations, um, we prefer not to call them domestic violence relationships because that's a whole other thing. Um, we know um, that there is almost always a primary aggressor when there's domestic violence present between two people. Um, it, it's usually the primary aggressor that is wanting power control, and it's not always about physical violence. It's about uh, gaslighting that person, keeping control of them, and in some instances, even wanting them to respond in an abusive manner because that gives them the ability to continue to control. Um, so when we use a term like mutual abuse, it really turns into um, excusing the actions of the primary aggressor while then simultaneously blaming the victim for what might be going on. If we don't understand the history and pattern of what's occurred between those two people, then we begin to do those things, which is excuse the behavior of somebody who's an aggressor while also um, uh, blaming the victim for what's happening. And in the context of the current uh, court case, uh, the Depp Heard trial, uh, no matter, in my opinion, no matter what you think or if this trial should be happening or not in the first place, it is happening. Right. And my look at it is what can we learn here? Uh, what can we learn from each other and what can we see in ourselves in the way we are acting that we can improve because from I go on Twitter, I go on to Instagram, you hear people want my opinion and I'm very wary of giving any my opinion of anything because my opinion could be biased opinion. So we're invalidating each other. Yes. And in the process of everything, you know, someone could say what Johnny Depp was described here, I went through that and they can latch on to that. And to them, that becomes part of it. And someone can say, well, Amber Heard said this or this is what happened. And, and no one believed me, which is a, a real big thing that we can talk about um and you know i i latched on i'm i'm on to that and now 
everyone's experience becomes their experience and your experience doesn't matter because my experience trumps that experience. That's right. So where do we begin to find a common ground and how do we listen to what is going on without having our bias get in the way? I think that's a perfect question um, because that is exactly what's happening is um, as a society, we've let our bias interrupt what otherwise should be, I would even call the court proceedings a listening session, you know, really taking the time to listen to what's going on. That would be the first thing is how can we remove our bias as we listen to this? Because we're making a lot of assumptions without understanding the dynamics of domestic violence, number one. And all we're going to get is what happens in that courtroom. And uh, at least, you know, for for this particular case and this particular um, retelling of, of what they have been experiencing with each other. I have been very careful, for instance, not to draw a conclusion yet. Um, I I feel very, um, of course, drawn to what I think, but but deliberately, with what I've been watching, I've really taken this kind of um, ten thousand foot view instead of the ten foot view. So, removing our bias is very important. I would also challenge us as a society, and particularly those who have come out so strongly and so viciously in some cases, to make sure that they are waiting until the end of these proceedings. Uh, We don't know everything. And this case in particular, with this focus on domestic violence, is not addressing the dynamics of domestic violence. It's it's um, bringing up all these other issues, which are certainly risk factors to domestic violence and can contribute in other ways as far as barriers and, and acting out and such. But they are not domestic violence, such as mental health issues and, and on and on and on. I would encourage us as a society, and not just as a result of this case, but we need to understand and seek out experts so that they can help us understand the dynamics of domestic violence so that when and if we're ever presented with something like this again, whether it's in our real life, because that's what I think about, or whether it's in a high-profile case like this, that we, we have a better understanding of the dynamics of what's happening. And there are certain aspects where people are... Um, you know, some people are making it a a um, a man versus woman issue. You have that segment of society, or I'll say Twitter, and then you have the people who are, you know, the fans of either of them uh, making these things. And there's a lot of noise that is going on. So. When it comes to things where people are pointing stuff out in the sense of, you know, Amber Heard never went to 
technique to the police. There was there was the one phone call, but she, you know, the the records aren't there. What do you say to those people who don't understand that aspect of domestic violence? Who jump on that and 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 run with it because, uh, you know, for uh, what people don't understand is on Twitter. There are two PR teams at war. And, yes. and if you are on Twitter a lot, you will see the exact replicas from from both sides. Johnny Depp's side is a stronger one on it. He has a better PR team of these exact replications of these tweets that will do those things. And it's a lot of noise and people will latch on to that. So when it comes to just for for the people out there who need to be validated that yes this is what happens we don't call the police what would you uh say to that just to validate them right now so cuz they're being invalidated in in a in a very big way in my opinion absolutely um there are several uh surveys that we've done not only as the national coalition against domestic violence but across the spectrum of our field of work where we understand that most victims do not call law enforcement. They do not make a report because they're either fearful of law enforcement themselves or because of those dynamics of domestic violence that we talked about. They're fearful of what will happen when law enforcement leaves. And let's say they haven't taken the aggressor or the perpetrator or the abuser. Let's say that they've left them them at home or Uh, They have taken them to jail, but eventually they get out. What are all of the ramifications that I might experience calling law enforcement? So it is very common, very, very common. I would do data, but I don't, I lose track of numbers. Uh, Very common for um, victims of domestic violence not to call the police. As far as the gender issue, we are very well aware that men can be victims of domestic violence, and so can others who identify differently or uh, have uh, uh, their own sexual identity. So we know that because, remember, domestic violence is about power and control. But we also know that we live in a patriarchal society, which hasn't changed much, and predominantly women are the victims of domestic violence. And then the third thing I want to remark on, because you've said something really, really important, is that we're dealing with a high-profile case in which two entities have uh, backing of, of PR, as you called it, and uh, one of them is stronger. In my eyes, um, it, it's really uh, muddied and sullied, uh, the case, the court proceedings. It's also sully these two people. Um, You can be a fan of someone and not malign and viciously attack the other party. Um, It's been one of the most nasty things I've ever seen. And I, I, um, I really hope as a society we take a look at what's happened with this once it's over. But I also hope that those who manage celebrities will take a look at what's happened with this and never do this again. It's, it's bad. Yeah, because this brings up my next question for you. Hopefully we l- will learn a lot more by, by, by listening. 
But no matter what, no matter what you think of Amber Heard, because there's people on both sides of this equation, the way she has been treated from the beginning has become scary for other people, even if she's lying or not lying, right. it's still scary for people to come forward because of this backlash against her. So, uh, you know, even when all is said and done, how do you, uh, I, I, you know, in my opinion, it, this has been um, a step backwards in, in in this case, as far as having people come forward, um, what do you say to those people? Um, or is this what's happening now a, an extreme case because it is so public? So I'm going to um, respond to two things that I picked up from your question. Um, number one, it will have a chilling effect. We won't see it because the people that will... Um, be impacted by this about whether they should come forward or not are people that aren't high profile, right? Um, and they may be, but for the most part, this is happening in somebody's home right now. Um, they may be watching the trial today. And as they're thinking about it, they're thinking, well, I'm not going to be believed. I'm going to get dragged. Uh, you know, all of those things. It could be their family. It could be their coworkers, whatever. So it will definitely have a chilling effect on victims of domestic violence. And when it, when it comes to people invalidating or, or survivors of abuse are invalidating each other, how do you suggest we find common ground? And how do we talk to each other to hear and listen without invalidating someone's experience? You know, it's a, it, I think that's a great question, too. I think it's um, particularly about this topic. This is a topic that no one wants to talk about. Um, go to a party and, and tell someone or, you know, a, a ball game and you, you strike up a conversation and somebody says, well, what do you do? I work in domestic violence. Well, you could pretty, you know, it's very rare that there's a conversation consent continued uh, because it's not a pleasant topic. We have to learn to be comfortable talking about it and understanding it. We have to be able to say, I get how domestic violence is based on power and control. I get how domestic violence is viewed by society as a couple issue or a family issue or or, uh, you know, a dating issue. Um, and so we let those folks work it out themselves. Well, no, because the more we understand, the more we can contribute to a conversation or a discussion like we should be having about Amber Heard and um, Johnny Depp, like you and I are today, right? Um, the, um, the invalidation that is occurring Quite frankly, for both of them, but you're correct, mostly about Amber Heard, is so damaging, not just to her, but to anyone else who may have found themselves in the position of either of those folks. 
um, because remember, we don't know yet, and we really haven't delved into the dynamics of domestic violence, but the 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 um, the invalidation that is occurring for both of them um, will leave scars for for whomever. And I want us to challenge ourselves to think. We haven't even heard from the court yet, so we at minimum. As a fan of so-and-so, I'm going to wait until I hear what the court has said, at minimum. And at the end of the trial, what do you hope that everyone learns? Like, what are you listening for yourself? I am listening for, um, and particularly during, during the trial, about how important it is and I've said it, this will probably be my third time saying it, but how important it is that even as individuals who don't work in this field, even as individuals who, um, you know, are are observing from a distance any domestic violence and we don't want to talk about it, at minimum, you need to understand what the dynamics of that are. Terms such as mutual abuse or terms such as reactive abuse, um, all of these terms that are used. Uh, only puts us a little bit backwards when we're trying to deal with domestic violence um, because someone's uh, been invited to comment who does not understand from my perspective, our perspective, those dynamics. So please, please take a moment either today as you're, as they're finishing up this high profile case or in the future as you're moving about your world and trying to figure out well, what happened in that case? I don't quite understand. Find out, figure it out. We have plenty of resources on our webpage. There are plenty of ways to find out what that really is about and not what we're being fed through PR or these court proceedings that don't have anything to do with their history or their patterns or anything like that. And before we get to advocacy, uh, aspect of everything and how everyone can get involved. Uh, I'm going to do a little swerve here for a second and ask you a question um, about, so I'm going to bring up the, the restraining orders for a second and uh, the woman, uh, sorry, the violence against women's act, because uh, the producer of the show, Vienna, who's been a once who was a survivor and has been a guest on our show uh, many times. Uh, she had the idea of, why, why is there not a restraining order? Uh, you know, just like someone can look up arrest records, why can't someone look up who's had a restraining against order against them and why? And I went and I did a dive into why this isn't readily available. And you know, part of the Violence Against Women's Act, there is uh, something in there that states. Uh, like within those documents, when someone has a restraining order, the person who um, put that restraining order out, their name is on it. So that information can't be available for the public, uh, um, which is uh, something that, um, that prevents everyone from knowing. Because we always, well, we said like, wouldn't it be great if you were on a dating app and you were able to press a button and you're like this per and And we thought, isn't that the best prevention of abuse? You can't get a date anymore. Right. Because you've been on that. So 
we were like, how do how do we work around that? How is is there something you, your organization is is trying to maybe do in, in that scheme of things? Because as far as prevention goes, if you can't get a date because uh, your name is on that, um, that's a pretty good uh, pr- way to prevent something from ever beginning in, in starting to end this cycle or people to learn a little bit more because now they're forced to? I think that's a great question uh, all around again. Uh, so I'll start with uh, the Violence Against Women Act. You are absolutely correct, not just in relation to the act, but there are so many protections for not only civilians, but victims, and they should be. They should be in place. Um, because one of the things that um, abusers are are quite good at is finding ways to find the victim and or further control the victim. And sometimes that's through a protection order and knowing all of the information that they need to know. So So we do have to be careful. Our organization is not working on something like that. Uh, we don't have the bandwidth. Um, and really, quite frankly, across the nation, there are so many state laws and jurisdictional barriers to information and all of those things. We would never be able to do it, quite frankly. But here's uh, something you've touched on that I really want to drive home to people, which is prevention is being able to stop someone who has had a pattern of that behavior. Um, absolutely. It is about the abusive party being the one who seeks out their victims. Uh, you know, oftentimes we hear people say, well, well, the victim keeps so-and-so keeps picking the bad person. So, well, I would challenge us to think differently about that and challenge us to think someone is in such need of power and control that they seek out people that they believe that they can have power and control over. Um, I, I would love if we had a checklist that we gave to everyone who was on a dating app or just dating in general that says, you know, at the top of the list is if you get a funny feeling, run. Trust your instincts. Um, It's something that I think as a society and particularly for women, but all of us, we don't want to be viewed as the crazy person or the one who's overreacting or all of those things. At some point, you have to stop caring about that so that you have your best interests in heart. I can't think of a human being who hasn't been in a situation in which uh, our instincts were just going on fire and we were like, well, yeah, I'll just be quiet about it, move away or, you know, no, react to that. And if that means you you do a search to the best of your ability, if you say, you know what, can we wait a week? Um, I, I just, I, I have some things I need to work out so that you can uh, understand what you're feeling. Um, do a search. I highly encourage everyone to do a search. We search for our appliance repairman, you know, and we go to see how many stars they have. Let's do it for someone we may be getting into a relationship with. Um, if we had a checklist, that, that would be wonderful. And, and, you know, if we had a potential abuser checklist, it could be very long because they all present differently. Um, they may be so charming at first and may even, even for a while, you know, 
sometimes a year or two or anything before that switch flips. But when it does, um, it is much harder to get out of it than it is to prevent it. And our show is the original tagline to the show. I think it's still on our website, but we don't use it on our show is share your story, advocate for others, heal together. And, you know, today a lot of what we're discussing is, is how we can really advocate for each other to each other. So we don't um, invalidate each other's experiences. So you were once a, a, a victim you are a survivor of of domestic violence. I've 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 uh, heard you talk about your story before, which is for everyone listening. Um, I'll, I'll put an actual. I'll put someone else's podcast uh, link in so they can hear you discuss your full full story. You don't have to go into the full thing, but there's a physical abuse. Um, you were shot three times eventually, um, and, and what the thing that. Um, I, I think I noted in that interview was that at the end you said something about control and that the ultimate control when someone who is an abuser, the ultimate control at the end is to take someone's life. And that the way you put it, it was much more effective and stronger than I could. But it it really it really hits home when you think about control in that dynamic and in that really that way of thinking of what really is it? So, you know, a lot of people, when they get out of these situations, uh, when they get out of these relationships and, and they're free, they want they're, they're they want other people to obviously live freely. They want to advocate. They, they want to be there for other people that have been through those situations. And you're someone that has done it. So, for those people that want to be where you are today, uh, where do they begin to become an advocate? Where would you start? How do how do they do it? You know, I I would encourage, particularly for for survivors who feel like they want to do something differently. It took me three years to understand that I wanted to do something differently. Um, it was a long journey, but um, what I would say is. Just take it a step at a time. Uh, if speaking is what you're comfortable with, find your local domestic violence community provider and say, I'm a survivor. I would love to talk to other victims or survivors or whatever that might look like. Um, if you're a writer, write it down. Write it down. And it's okay to say, I can't do this right now. I have done speaking engagements where um, at the last minute, not many, but there's been a couple where I said, I am not feeling in the space today to share my story. Um, it's painful. And I'm, I know that it's going to be more harmful to me today than it is good for you or me. So be very careful, always protecting yourself. But anything is possible. Um, and I'll share with you, Brandon, I, I, my memoir is going to be released in October. And it really is about that. It is about um, the pain of of figuring out what to do with the rest of your life when you've been hurt so badly and taking control of your life. Someone else has already controlled it. 
So you control your life by telling your story in the way that you want to tell your story. And oh, by the way, you don't even have to tell your story. You can say, I'd like to volunteer with the domestic violence program to see if this is where I can be. I had discovered really, really quickly that I would, would not benefit survivors if I was working with them directly. I just wouldn't. Um, it would be too much. Um, discover, find out ways to redefine yourself. And it doesn't have to be in domestic violence. Anything in which you feel good and passionate about that someone has, you know, one of the examples I gave really quickly was um, he, my, my then husband had always told me I couldn't get an education. You can't go to school. You're not smart enough. All of those things. The first thing I did was go back to school because I needed to redefine myself and retake control. I now have control of me. And guess what? I might even fail, but it's still me. And just understand that now that you're safe, you can control your life. It doesn't have to be in domestic violence. It doesn't have to be going back to school. It could be journaling. It could be painting. It could be raising your lovely children in a lovely environment and really putting your energy into that because you were never allowed to do that before. Um, there are such myriad of ways, but mostly just take control back. And if advocacy is what you want to do, there are many ways to do that. If it's something else, Seek that support to get that done. So as far as uh, advocacy or programs, projects that your organization uh, is going to be doing within the next few years, uh, initiatives as well, uh, what are those? What does that look like? And are there ways that uh, our audience can, can help? So there, there are more than a handful of things, but I'll just point out a couple of things that are, that are really important. Um, we have, we are responsible for delivering the National Conference on Domestic Violence um, every year. This year it will be in St. Louis, Missouri, where we have other experts, because we're not the only experts, but other experts deliver information on the intersectionalities of domestic violence, whether it's housing, economics, uh, social issues such as Black Lives Matter or, uh, you know, the transgender population who is dying at a rapid pace because of who they are and experiencing domestic violence. So we deliver all of those kinds of different workshops for advocates, law enforcement, judges, uh, social workers, whomever wants to learn more about what they can do about domestic violence. We have uh, policies such as FIFSA that we're working on to make sure that it's in appropriations as it should be. Um, as you said, we, you know, we were very instrumental with all of our colleagues and allies and getting VAWA reauthorized after five years of nothing. Um, you know, we deal with other smaller policy issues such as how is housing addressing the fact that domestic violence victims uh, may be at risk of losing their housing because of domestic violence, you know, all of those different kinds of things. Um, we have a regular series of webinars. We encourage everyone to sign up. Some of them are kind of cost. Some of them are free. Um, we are also an organization that we appreciate every donation that we get because we do not operate with government grants. Um, it's not deliberate uh, to some extent 
but it does allow us to be a bit more vocal about who we are, what we need to do as a society about domestic violence. So we work on financial education for domestic violence victims and survivors. Uh, We have a moving company that we're partners with to help domestic violence victims move. Um, So there's a myriad of, of programs and projects and such that we have. And before we end off our show today, uh, do you have any last words about uh, how everyone can just be better to themselves uh, right now uh, with with the trial going on and, and just in general? Yeah. Um, you know, this is a tough time for many reasons and not just the trial, but particularly for survivors who are taking in this trial, um, whether they're currently being victimized or whether they've been removed, this can be very triggering. I want encourage all of us, whether you're a victim or survivor or not, to take this in the pieces that we can tolerate and recognize that it's when it's become too much. We're living in a tough world right now. And so we have all these external things that are are really draining us, quite frankly, and um, eventually making us unhappy people. Um, and I don't, I don't even suggest that we should be happy all the time. But when we're allowing things to come into our world that we don't have to, and and it triggers us or makes us unhappy, I encourage all of us to just take a step back. I have limited myself to the trial um, just for a bit in the evenings. So I go back to the live feed and, you know, play little parts and stuff so I'm informed. But I cannot take it all in. It's too triggering. It's too upsetting. Um, TikTok has upset me, so I haven't been on TikTok much. Um, the maliciousness by which people are acting is horrible. So when we're not malicious, we're taking that in and it makes us really unhealthy. Well, Ruth M. Glenn, I really (laughs) want to thank you for being here with us today and sharing your knowledge and experience uh, with everyone. Uh, I'm going to leave that other podcast interview so people can... uh, can can learn about your story because it's i mean it's a story uh you went went through a lot and i'm gonna leave everything about your organization so everyone can help out uh as much as they can and really just a big thank you because you know when you hear all the noise and you see all the noise and you're even just getting triggered by the noise even if you agreed with the person that you're even uh the someone's point that they made it's still triggering and it's still noise and i'm someone that just likes quiet so uh yes. Yes. <laughs> i have learned that i like quiet <laughs> even though that sometimes i want to make some noise i'm like that's right. not going to be good for me in the long run right. Um, you know, that's why uh, when Twitter, you know, sometimes I write something on Twitter and then I'm like, I sit there for 10 minutes and then I erase it. Um, you just have to. So really a a big thank you from everyone, uh, in our audience today. And hopefully, uh, we can have you, uh, back on when your, when your book is coming out and we can talk about things further. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brandon. You take good care of yourself. You too. And your audience as well.
And for those of you who want to be a guest on our Survivor Story show, our, our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button there that says Guest Form. Click on that button, read all our instructions, and send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Also at our website, we have our very own safe social network. At the top of the page, you'll see a button that says Support Group. Click on that button, go through all all of the instructions there and we will see you at our support group where we have our own integrated zoom meetings wednesday nights and saturday nights we have episodes that never made it to air we have forum boards and we have ad free episodes as well and if you need even more support please do go to our friends at domesticshelters.org there you can find articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing they can connect you with local resources like shelters they can find ways to help you heal and move forward so please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free free resource today and now from myself and Ruth M. Glenn, we hope you have a good night.